My name is Dr. Kimberly Wiley. I teach organizational leadership and nonprofits for the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. In this podcast, I offer lessons from our course readings to support knowledge building and skill mastery in nonprofit leadership and management. In this podcast, we'll tackle the questions, what is the role of the nonprofit board of directors? What do boards do? What are the duties of the board? Let's get started. Later in this podcast, we'll reference your reading by Bolton, Kumaran, and Gestelli, titled Working with Nonprofit Organizations and Community Settings, Governance and Board Functions. Grab the article because you'll need it later in the podcast. Directors in a nonprofit organization is the governing group that formulates policy, hires the chief executive officer, and represents to the public the mission, goals, and the outcomes of the organization. The executive director is responsible for managing the staff, hiring the staff, and all of those things, but the board oversees the director and the organization broadly. They have a number of responsibilities. First, they agree on the mission and the purpose of the organization. This may be developed at one point in time and then evaluated later um, to make sure that the organization is still doing what needs to be done in the community. They appoint the chief executive, um, support the chief executive or the president or the executive director, whatever the title is in the organization, and they assess their performance. It's their job to provide both financial management in the organization and ensure that there are adequate resources. So they want to make sure that the goals, the activities, the programs have the resources that they need in order to do them well. The board maintains legal and ethical integrity in everything they do in representing the organization and acting with and for the organization. They participate in effective organizational planning they develop, monitor, and strengthen the organization's programs and services. And it's their job to recruit, enlist, and orient new board members. So the organization needs to have a board representative of the community, and it's up to the board themselves to make sure that happens. And they are responsible for enhancing and protecting the organization's public image. As a group, they speak for the organization publicly. So the board members do not run the day-to-day activities in the organization. That's left up to the executive director. They're not going to get involved in middle management or direct services. They do some of the larger um, responsibilities for the organization to keep it running. They do not hire staff. That's the role of the executive director. They don't make programming decisions without consulting the staff. And they don't speak to the press without the executive director, CEO, or board approval. They can't act independently in that sense. But they have some core legal duties. They have three. The duty of care, duty of loyalty, and duty of obedience. The duty of care is to employ normal business-like practices, read all of the materials that are coming from the organization, the financial statements, HR statements, and they attend board meetings, they participate in good faith and use good judgment. It's their duty to do their due diligence 
and management and oversight finances. So they need once they volunteer to be on the board, they need to commit to being engaged and staying on top of things. They also have a duty to loyalty. So they need to act in the best interest of the organization and disclose any possible conflicts of interest. And the duty of obedience means that they follow the laws, the bylaws, and the board policies and procedures. Remember, the assumption in the law is not that, not necessarily that you must make the correct decision, or the board member must make the correct decision, but they must make the decision correctly using a prudent review and decision-making process. I'm going to read you a few scenarios, uh, and you're going to tell me if these relate to duty of care, duty of loyalty, or duty of obedience. Grab the article I mentioned earlier and turn to page three and get ready for your first scenario. Scenario one, Julietta has just joined the board of directors for a local after-school program. She looks at the organization's finances and discovers the numbers do not add up. It appears someone, probably an employee or volunteer, has been stealing. She wonders how on earth the other board members missed this. What legal duty did the board violate, and what specific responsibilities did they neglect? Check your article, and then listen for the answer. In this scenario, the board of directors violated the duty of care because they didn't meet specific responsibilities, such as providing proper financial management and maintaining legal and ethical integrity. Scenario number two. Adam has been on a board of directors for a local soup kitchen for several years now. He knows the organization very well. Today, the board voted to fund a new program, a program he believes is not consistent with their mission. The new program is very costly and would make the organization less financially stable. After the vote, Adam gets a call from a friend of his who is a local reporter. The reporter decides to write a story about the nonprofit, sure to change the board's mind. The next day's headline reads, Reckless Board Steers Trusted Nonprofit Toward Financial Ruin. What legal duty did Adam violate, and what specific responsibilities did he neglect? In this scenario, Adam violated the legal duty of loyalty. And the specific responsibilities he neglected were, one, agree on the organization's mission and purpose, and two, enhance and protect the organization's public standing by going out on his own and speaking on behalf of the board rather than speaking collectively for the board, he violated his duty of loyalty. Here's your last scenario. Scenario three. Uh Uh-oh, a local daycare has not followed state regulations about the number of children allowed in a classroom per teacher. As a result, the nonprofit is about to lose funding from the government. The state issued a warning to the executive director last year. The executive director did not tell the board, nor did she correct the problem. Now they're in a mess of trouble. If they lose government funding, they will certainly have to close by the end of the year. What legal duty did the board violate What specific responsibilities did they neglect? In scenario three, the board violated the duty of care and the duty of obedience. They neglected 
providing adequate resources, maintaining legal and ethical integrity. They failed to develop, monitor, and strengthen the organization's programs and services. And they failed to support the executive director and assess her performance. How'd you do? Did you get them all right? Let's shift gears and talk about how boards are structured and how they're governed. I've worked at a number of nonprofits with all sorts of boards. For instance, I worked at Shelter House in Fort Walton Beach, and this was an established nonprofit. They had a board made up with about 15 local leaders. Then I went over to Micah's place over in Nassau County when it was a brand new nonprofit. They had one staff person and about 20 board members. In this case, the board members were local leaders, they were uh, snowbirds that came down um, in the summertime and lived in Florida and went home in the wintertime. And while they were here in Florida, they worked hard to build, to build this organization. Eventually, the organization started hiring staff and the board members took on different duties, mostly fundraising and making local connections. We've also worked at a statewide umbrella organization that had 42 board members. Each board member was a member of a nonprofit this organization represented. Now, on average, nonprofits have between uh, 40% of nonprofits have between 5 and 10 board members. This is according to the Urban Institute. 32% of nonprofits have between 11 and 20 board members. In Florida, when you start a nonprofit, you must have a minimum of three board members. The number of board members really ranges based on the duties of the board members, what you need from the board, what you need them to do for you. Now, before we get into those kinds of things, let's talk a little bit about conflict of interest and board independence. You want the board members to be independent from each other and from people in the organization and services and provided in the organization and financial connections. If the board member is married to the executive director, that board member will not be able to participate on votes and discussions about the CEO's salary. There would be a conflict of interest there. Um, let's say a board member owns a local uh, cleaning company and the nonprofit is bidding out to hire a cleaning company. Can that board member uh, submit a bid to be hired? If so, there would be a conflict of interest and that would need to be addressed by the board. Now, 82% of um, organizations, nonprofit organizations, have three-quarters or greater independent board members. All this is spelled out in the Form 990 required by the IRS from each nonprofit each year. The organization's boards have a number of policies that help address conflicts of interest and help hold board members accountable. Um, there's different committees that do different things. There might be an audit committee to help prepare for audits for the organization to keep their financial documents in order. You have whistleblower policies, conflict of interest policies. There's a number of policies, and they're all also identified in 
the IRS Form 990. You will see them in the board bylaws and their procedure manuals. A lot of board members donate to their organizations that they volunteer for. According to a Stanford survey on board of directors in nonprofit organizations, 92% of respondents said yes, they did donate to the organization. Now, about half of nonprofits require directors on the board uh, to donate to their organization. So they may have some sort of give or get minimum. Maybe they have to either donate $1,000 or write a grant or do fundraising to bring in that amount of money. So only about half of the organizations require it, but often there's an understanding that board members will help support fundraising in the organization. Now remember one of their duties is to ensure um, financial stability in the organization and make sure the organization has adequate resources. Now the board members may act uh, in various committees. You have an executive committee. If you think about like, your student organizations uh, at UF, you have the president, the vice president, treasurer, secretary. Well, the board of directors is going to have an executive committee made up of a similar team. They'll also have committees like an audit committee, maybe a board development and nominating committee. Like this committee is responsible for bringing in new board members. They may have an executive finance committee, maybe a fundraising committee, or a special events committee, say the, say the nonprofit hosts a 5K or a gala each year. There may be a committee that works on that specific event. There may be a marketing committee, a personnel committee, public relations, program, or evaluation. Now, it's important in these committees and, and for board members to make sure that each one has a clear job description, that they evaluate the committee goals each year, and that they rotate committee members. You want members of the board to serve on different committees, one, that align with their area of interest, um, and two, align with their skill set. You can use committee work as a board development process. Sometimes there's ad hoc committees. You, there may be um, maybe a capital campaign committee that just focuses on bringing in a large amount of money to the organization at one time. When I worked at Micah's Place, there was a huge capital campaign going on to raise enough money to build the shelter and open it. That committee, the capital campaign committee, dissolved after the campaign was over. Maybe there's a legislative issue coming up that's involving the mission area of your nonprofit. And so you may um, have a, a legislative issues committee related to that specific issue. Maybe there's some environmental trends going on or new projects. Now you want to have your board reflect the needs of the organization um, in a number of ways. So you want to have various skill sets, accounting and financing, advocacy and lobbying, HR skills, great fundraisers, legal skills. It's great to have an attorney on the board or maybe an IT specialist, someone with skills in marketing. Now, if you take a look at the board matrix worksheet on Canvas, you can see a breakdown of the different areas that you may want to pull from when you're identifying members for your board. You want to look at these areas of expertise like I just listed, 
Also consider the resources that the individual has. Do they have money to give or do they have access to money? Maybe they know people. Um, maybe they work for a foundation or have connections with the foundation. And you want to make sure um, that you have community connections as well. Maybe corporate connections, people in the education system, connections with the media, with politics, uh, philanthropy, small businesses. So maybe you can get you know, a good deal on the things that your organization needs to buy. Um, and then think about personality style. Um, do you have consensus builders, good communicators, people who are, um, can think strategically, team, members, team members, um, and people who are visionaries. Now, all of this may not be in the same person. You may need multiple people to fill those different personnel styles, personality styles. Now that we know what a board does and what the board is structured like, how do you get on a board? Well, there's three different approaches, elected, self-perpetuating, and appointed and hybrid. With an elected board, it sounds just like it is. There's term limits, Every three, four, five years, board member, new board members are elected. This is great because it's responsive to members. They can choose who is on the board and find the people that they need. Um, however, sometimes there's high turnover. There might be an uneven skill set and division among members. If the majority rules on a vote and the majority is 51%, um, that means 49% of people may not be happy on the board member that was elected. And a self-perpetuating board, board members find someone to fill their place when they decide to leave the board. This leads to a continuity of culture and strategic focus because you can recruit people for specific skills um, and resources. The disadvantages are that it may become unrepresentative. We surround ourselves often by people who are like us. And so when we look for someone to replace us on the board, we're gonna be looking at folks around us that are just like us. So that can be great on the one hand if we need to find an accountant, because we can look around us and find another accountant. However, in terms of diversity and inclusiveness, um, the board can often become unrepresentative. And it may be less responsive to environmental change. We may not see the problems going on around us that the nonprofit really should investigate and engage in. With an, import, an appointed or hybrid board, um, some of the risks here are there may be competing interests or loyalties. We might have an ex officio member, say an elected official that has an appointment on the board, regardless of who's in that leadership position or that government position. Um, they always have a position on the board. Um, those folks may not be committed to the organization or fully committed to the organization. So board governance and leadership, let's talk about that. Governance is the process of providing strategic leadership to a nonprofit organization. This entails setting direction, making policy and strategy decisions, overseeing performance and ensuring accountability. So nonprofit governance is a political and organizational process involving multiple functions, and engaging multiple stakeholders. So let's think about it in terms of a leadership framework developed by Chait, Ryan, and Taylor in 2008. In 
this framework, there are three forms of governance, fiduciary, strategic, and generative. With fiduciary, we're talking about operations, resources, fiscal accountability, legal compliance. We're making sure that the board and the organization are following the laws and the rules, and they have various levels and forms of accountability. The problems are meant to be spotted, and this form of governance begs the question, what's wrong? And then we go in and we fix it. The second type of governance in this framework is strategic. Here we're setting priorities, planning, measuring progress on plans. The problems in strategic governance are meant to be solved, and they beg the question, what's the plan? How are we going to address things? What are we going to fix? How are we going to fix it? The third form of governance is generative. This one drives us to discern challenges and opportunities. It makes us question our assumptions and our logic and consider the values behind our strategies. Why are we doing what we're doing? What do we know about the world around us that dictates how we make these choices? These problems are meant to be, or problems solved in this governance approach, are meant to be framed, and then it begs the question, what is the key question? What are we trying to do? So fiduciary, we're looking for what's wrong and fixing it. With strategic, we're determining what the plan is and setting goals and how to measure them. With generative, we're asking what's the key question? Why is our mission important? Why is our purpose important? What values do we represent? These are three different approaches. Now I want you to look back at the article that we were referencing earlier by Bolton, Kumran, and Guest Jelly, and I want you to see if you can match the board responsibilities to these three governance types, fiduciary, strategic, and generative. So look at the list of 10 board responsibilities and match them to the three governance types. Pause the podcast and then come back and see if your answers match mine. you come up with? Well, quite a few of the board responsibilities on this list in the article by Bolton, Kumran, and Guest Jelly are fiduciary in nature. We're appointing the chief executive, providing adequate resources, proper financial management, maintaining legal and ethical integrity. Um, We're protecting and enhancing the organization's public image and supporting the chief executive and assessing their performance. Here we're following rules, we're making sure that nothing's wrong along the way. There are a few strategic responsibilities here, agreeing on mission and purpose, appointing the chief of staff or the chief executive can be um, strategic, participating in organizational planning, uh, recruiting, enlisting, orienting new board members can also be strategic for aligning these activities with our mission and our purpose. In terms of generative, appointing the chief executive might be, um, depending on our approach, recruiting and enlisting, enlisting board members maybe, depending on our approach as well, and then developing, monitoring, and strengthening the organization's programs and services can be generative if we are going back and we are discerning the challenges and opportunities probing our assumptions and considering the values behind the types of things that we do and how we do it. 
So how'd you do? Were you able to label them correctly? In this podcast, we review board duties, board responsibilities, and governance approaches. In the next podcast, we'll talk about diversity on the board and how this relates to generative governance approaches.